It's another day, and I'm glad you're here. Welcome back to Iowa's Newsworthy Past. The following episode includes items published in the Riverside Leader in Riverside, Iowa, on Thursday, September 27, 1928. County to improve East River Road. Highway to be widened and many improvements made this fall. A recent decision of the County Board of Supervisors will be welcome news to everyone in this part of the county. After years of neglect, the road between Riverside and the Iowa River, better known as the Lone Tree Road, is to be adopted by the county and will be treated as a county road in the future. The change was made about two weeks ago and workmen under the supervision of Supervisor Ed Koss are already at work, clearing the brush away from the highway so that the big excavator and other machinery can get to work. The road is to be widened from its present width of 48 and 52 feet to a standard county highway width, 66 feet, and a grade will be established. The county funds for this purpose are limited at present, but future appropriations will be made to continue the work until the road is in first-class condition. It is planned to spend about $1,000 on this stretch of highway this fall. Probably the worst piece of highway in Washington County will be improved under the new plan of the board. For several years, it has had to be cared for by the township, but with a small amount of money at hand, little permanent work could be done. The road is used extensively for traffic between Muscatine and towns along this branch of the Rock Island and deserved much more attention than it has been receiving. Much of the credit for the improvement can be laid to Mr. Koss, who probably understands the need of a good road there better than any other members. Ed has been working himself and has a fine case of ivy poisoning as a result. The bottom is full of these poisonous vines, and Ed unfortunately contracted a painful and severe case while helping to clear away the growth from the sides of the highway. Veterinarians say acorns harm cattle. The weekly bulletin issued by the Eastern Iowa Veterinary Association cautions cattle owners against acorn poisoning at this season. The bulletin says, several cases have been found by veterinarians. Hogs seem able to eat acorns without ill effects, but cattle are susceptible to the poisonous effect of acorns when consumed in quantities. It is well to watch cattle in timber pastures where oak trees are numerous. Infectious diseases causing livestock losses during the last week as reported the Eastern Iowa Veterinary Association were as follows. Hog, Cholera, Clarence, Manchester, Dows, Williams, Charlotte, Low, Moore, Osage, Lone Tree, Wellman, Riverside, Washington, Brighton, Hendrick, Ottumwa, Preston, Richland, Kyoto, Davenport, Keystone, Clinton, Lyons, Black Leg in Cattle, Manchester, Wyoming, DeWitt, Hemorrhagic Septicemia in Cattle, Lone Tree, Conesville, Wyoming, Blairsburg, Caldera in Chickens, Williams. Miss Julia A. Robinson, Director of the Iowa Library Commission with headquarters in the Historical Library in Des Moines, and Chairman of the Committee on Home Education for the Iowa Congress of Parents and Teachers, 
will conduct a most active educational campaign for library service among the rural communities the coming year. Conservatively speaking, only about 35% of the population of Iowa is reached by any library service, and the value of county libraries as a most economic means to solve the problem will be advocated. Mrs. B.C. Hopkins, President of the Iowa Congress of Parents and Teachers, will cooperate with Ms. Robinson in every way to get results from such an educational campaign which will be carried out according to the standards of Ms. Julia Merrill of Chicago, Chairman of Library Extension of the National Congress of Parents and Teachers. Our Summer Vacation Trip by Superintendent R.C. Knight to the readers of the leader, I wish to say that I have been forced by threats of violence by our respected editor to write a brief account of our travels this past summer. You see, it is like this. I promised Mr. Miller to write him a line on the way. Well, of course, old man procrastination crept in and I was home before I had written a line. So after returning, I thought I had better go in and apologize. I did but the consequences were nearly fatal. Between gulps, I managed to promise never to do a thing like that again. I am thankful to be all together from that interview, and now I will bore you with what Mr. Miller thinks is important enough to put in a perfectly lovely little paper, and what I think is a very blunt account of the magnificent beauties of western mountain scenery. Luckily, we took numerous pictures, notes, and specimens of our trip, Otherwise, we would have forgotten much of the trip and its occurrences. We are at home to anyone who is interested enough to care to see the pictures and folders of places of interest. Mrs. Knight and I left for Moorhead, Minnesota in June 1928. We went through northern Iowa by way of Waterloo and Mason City. We had fine graveled or paved roads to Oawatana, Minnesota, and from there we traveled on paving nearly 200 miles through Minneapolis. In southern Minnesota, we saw thousands of acres of level land planted to onions. Near Sauk Center, we noticed a signboard in front of a cozy farmhouse stating that Colonel Lindbergh's father had once lived there. The land was gently rolling here. We saw many beautiful lakes a little farther north of this farm. We continued our journey up through Fergus Falls into Moorhead. Mrs. Knight's brother, Fred, and wife live about 12 miles northwest of Moorhead, not far from the Red River. In this part of Minnesota, the main crops are wheat and potatoes. Some potato fields extended over 300 acres. The story goes that when a potato picker, usually a hired man, gives out in the middle of the field, they don't take time to drive to the end. They just bury him right where he gives out. The grain in that section goes through a machine so fast that one has to pitch double time. This is due to the dryness of the straw. It is next to impossible to tie a double band after 10 o'clock when shocking wheat. I am getting too far afield with my narrative, so we'll go back to the road. In southern Minnesota, we found our cheapest gasoline, which was 14 cents a gallon. This was a good grade of gas. Nowhere else on the trip did we find gas as cheap, not even among the oil wells of Casper, Wyoming, Bakersfield, California, or Los Angeles. We rested up for three days at Fred's, tuned Lizzie up by grinding valves, etc., 
and then started on the first main leg of our journey, namely from Moorhead, Minnesota to Twin Falls, Idaho. We followed US Highway number 75 in Minnesota due south. The first day, we covered over 300 miles. After visiting a day with relatives near Luverne, Minnesota, we struck westward for the Black Hills. We went through Sioux Falls, Mitchell, and crossed the Big Muddy at Chamberlain and stopped all night at Kadoka in a convenient little tourist camp. We were held up here by quite a heavy rain. That was on June 12th, according to a notation in my diary. A tall, dignified Indian was in charge of the Kadoka camp. He was very courteous and considerate, regardless of his warrior-like appearance. The next day, we started out about 5 a.m. for the Black Hills. We spent four days in the hills. We went through the gold mine at Lead, South Dakota. This mine is reputed to be the largest in the world in spite of the fact that its ore only pays about $3.75 per ton. They went through enough ore in a year to pay out nearly $6 million. The efficiency of the mine lies in the enormous amount of machinery used, much of it being operated by water power. The guide told us that 10,000 barrels of water were used daily. The cyanide process is used in treating the ore and catching the gold. From Lead, we drove to Deadwood and went up into the cemetery where we took pictures of the graves of Wild Bill Hickok and Calamity Jane. A statue has been erected on Wild Bill's grave. Vandals have broken off his left hand and his revolver. From Deadwood, we went up to Spearfish. The roads to the hills are as good as paving. At Spearfish, Mrs. Knight fished for trout but with little success. We continued our journey through the hills to Custer State Park and saw many buffalo on our way from Spearfish to Custer. We drove up through the Needles Highway and exhausted our supply of films on the surrounding beauties and freaks of nature. We spent a very chilly night on the shores of Sylvan Lake. We took leave of the hills reluctantly and all of us vowed that someday we would return to them. They were certainly more pleasingly pretty than much of the true mountain scenery. To be continued.